0: patient there, because often, you know, when we're praying for people, if you're anything like me, it's great to be appointed and anointed. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah 29. Have we had a good week, folks? Just whilst you're doing that, I'll um, give you an update on Pastor Dave. So he's not really had a great trip, this trip. He's been staying in the Bible college where Jules is the principal. There has been no electricity. What that equates to is no air conditioning which for Dave has been horrendous because it must be about 42 degrees. There has been running water so he's he's been, uh, praise God for that. Um, But obviously that's really difficult if you're not used to being in the sun. Now we all know Dave loves the sun because he spends a lot of time on the golf course early in the morning at sun up and late at night when sun comes down. So he doesn't mind the sun but if you've ever been in the African sun, it can be quite, can be quite hard on you. So, um, Deo got married yesterday, hallelujah. And uh, Dave said that he was unable to eat the food at the wedding because they weren't sure how it had been prepared. Now, let me qualify that statement. It's not that it was, there was something wrong with it, but his stomach cannot cope with water drawn from the well. So, if they've cooked it from water drawn from the well, he probably would have been poorly. So, he didn't eat yesterday after he'd preached at the wedding. So what Jules did last night, he dropped him off at a restaurant. He ordered for him and left him. Well, he said he'd goodbyes to Dale. So Dave sent me an email and he said, table for one. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, so there you were. he was. he ate his uh, beef what a, he said he was having beef and um, sent me an email and, and just sort of gave me an update on what had gone on and that he was looking forward to being back in the UK so you know, as you go about your week, this next week, he's due back um, Tuesday morning, Russ is going to go and collect him um, just pray for him and just pray that the Lord will um, refresh him and build him up and just make sure that he's, he's ready to hit the ground running because we've got a busy couple of weeks uh, as he gets back Amen? Amen. Amen. Right, um, two things today. So I'm just going to read this letter to you. So in Jeremiah 29, this is a letter to the exiles. So it's a bit of a long reading, so just bear with me. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders amongst the exiles and the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jerichoim, and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elas, son of Saphan, and to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, it said. Just let me pause there a minute. Okay, so the people of Israel, they were a physical people who used to worship God. They were God's people called by God's name. But if, you, if you've ever read Jeremiah, the people of Israel, they, they went in a cycle. So they'd worship God, they would um, bring sacrifices to Him, and God would bless them. And then they would slowly but surely start to um, sort of move away from God, to live ungodly lives, and to sin. And then God would um, bring some judgment on them. And the cycle pretty much went a bit like that. And the people of God believed they were blessed, and absolutely they were blessed. But the the word of the prophet from Jeremiah came to the people, and he said to them, If you do not stop sinning, God will take you into captivity. And this is the place where the people are in captivity. And the, the problem with Jeremiah was he was not... Um, first and foremost a willing prophet because he didn't want to bring the word because it's hard when you bring the word of God and people don't want to hear it he was an unpopular prophet because all the other prophets and divinators were bringing words of blessing words of uh, being released from captivity but Jeremiah clearly in this passage here is telling them that that's not going to be the case today some of you although we're not a physical we are a physical people of God but we're a spiritual people of God are in captivity You're in captivity. Now this is a prophetic word for for some of you here, maybe more than one, I don't know. But, you know, you're in captivity. And the reason why I know you're in captivity, because often I find myself in captivity. So I'm just going to read the word a little bit more. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried. I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Hang on, I've lost my place now. Um, To which I have carried you into exile. So the Lord is clearly saying to them, I have done this, I've carried you into exile. I have done this. Yep. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. If it prospers, you will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the divinities among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord often when we're in a place of captivity we want to hear the word of the Lord and we want people to tickle our little ears, we want to hear what actually soothes us and comforts us and makes things better we want to believe that the Lord is going to take us out of captivity and give us all the things that our hearts desire but what the Lord is saying here through Jeremiah is, I want you to plant, I want you to grow, I want you to increase I want you to settle, I want you to pray for these people, I want you to bring peace Often, when I'm in a place of captivity, I don't want none of that. I just want to get out of there. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to pray for these people. I don't want to mix with these people. I don't want to feed these people. I'm just being transparent and honest. Because we believe that when we're in a place of captivity, that can't possibly be God. Somehow or another... We have found ourselves in that place of captivity. We might think it's our own doing. We might think it's the devil. We might think it's the circumstances. We might think it's our lifestyle. We might think it's our work colleagues. We might think it's our friends. We might think it's our family. But sometimes God has put you in that place. If we believe that God is sovereign, that he is from first to last, from beginning to end, the Alpha and the Omega, if we believe that everything that we face, we face in him, then sometimes where we're seated or placed or the circumstances, situations that we're in are from God. Now sometimes that's not comfortable because I'm not going to tickle your ears today. I'm going to challenge you. Okay, so this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back from this place. Now bearing in mind in the Old Testament, we're talking about a physical people. So I'm not putting 70 years on your time in captivity. I'm just saying a season. God may have you there for a season. For I know the plans. I love this bit. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon my name and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Amen. So you know when somebody says to me, you know if I'm having a hard time. And somebody says to me, the Lord has got plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I love those verses because that brings hope to my heart. But actually, what we, set, we tend to forget very often is putting it into context, is to put it into context from which it's come from. So, today, if that's you, if you're in a place of captivity and you're finding it hard, let me tell you this much. Sometimes it's God that's put you there. People don't like to hear that, people don't want to hear that, but um, hear the word of the Lord today. You're in a place of captivity and what he wants you to do, he wants you to plant, he wants you to grow, he wants you to love, he wants you to increase and he wants you to bring peace and prosperity to that place where you're at. Now everyone knows that the place I work is, is you know, HSBC or, or people who know me, they know I work in HSBC and they are an excellent company to work for. They are, you know, opportunities galore but actually you pay with your soul. You pay with your last drop of blood. Now, don't get me wrong, the Lord gave me the job, the Lord took me to that place and He gave me, very clearly gave me that job. And I believe that is absolutely right. Now, just this last week they've announced twenty five thousand job cuts across the world. Eight thousand in the UK. You know what I said? Bring it on, Lord. Give me a package, I'm out of here. But but actually what the Lord said to me was, I've put you there for a purpose. It's been horrendous these last couple of weeks. Because you know what happens when you're in a place of captivity, when you're locked down, locked in, and you can't go anywhere. Your thinking goes along the lines of, oh, poor me. Oh, wretched soul that I am. Do I have to suffer with these Philistines? Do I have to suffer with these people that are filthy-mouthed and filthy-lived and, you know, ungodly people? Do I have to suffer and listen to them? Well, actually, yes, you do. Because God has put you there. So what we need to do, we need to change the way we think and we perceive them. So this week, when they were talking about job cuts and and all of that lot, they're they're moving out of, um, possibly moving out of the UK because of the tax bills, the regulations, all the stuff that you have to adhere to now. But that's their business. I'm not into building their kingdom per se, but I'm into looking after the people within the kingdom. The place of captivity is where God has put me. And I accept that. And I'm up for the challenge. And the question today is, are you? If I had to give this title, this this message, a title, it would go something like this From Captivity to Freedom. You know, if I was an author, a best selling author, which I'd like to believe that I could be one day, it would be The Journey to Freedom or, you know, um, 12 Steps to Freedom, you know, something like that, something that would be quite exciting. And, um, To be in a place of captivity but live in freedom is just an amazing thing in God. And there's uh, one particular person in the Bible that actually reflects how you can do this. He um, was called of God quite dramatically, the the voice of God was spoken to him. He repented. He uh, declared God as his Lord and Saviour. He then went on to preach the gospel throughout Asia. Um, Turkey uh, all, all the sort of the, the Asia Minor all of those areas there he was um, ridiculed, whipped shipwrecked um, left for dead jailed uh, poisoned or nearly poisoned but yet he still lived in a place of freedom he still lived in it and he inspires me so today Can anybody tell me who that is? The Apostle Paul. He was an amazing man of God. So, um, just before we start, Steve said about, he he spoke from Ephesians. Just to remind you today, you're restored, you're redeemed, and you're repositioned in God. So however you're feeling, whatever you're feeling today, you are standing or sitting or living in the shadow of what Christ has done for you. So you are free. It's just that I think our minds are locked down and our circumstances hammers in. Um, But we're going to look at Paul just for a short while um, because I think he will help us with our everyday life. I would like to know what Paul's secret is though because when you consider all of those things that he um, overcame And again, you know, I'll always say this, we read the scripture with sanitized eyes, we read the scripture like it's a story, we gloss over the journey of faith. Can you imagine what it must be like to be ridiculed and whipped and left for dead? Can you actually imagine that? I don't think we can with our sanitized minds in in, in 2015. I don't think we can truly understand it because the moment we feel pain we start to react and shout out. The moment we feel pain, we start to recoil and move away. The moment anything is considered hard for us, we just actually sit down or we we say, this can't be God. This can't be God because it wouldn't be this painful. Well, let me tell you, actually, it can be God. It can be God because God wants to stretch you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to build you up in Him. And Paul has a couple of keys to actually do that. So I want to know what his secret was and how we together can attain That strength of character that Paul um, has somehow or another in all of those circumstances. In Philippians, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served the advance of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. That's incredible. Because I tell you something, if that was me in chains, I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be like, free me! For goodness sake, do I have to eat this prison food? It's smelly in here, it's dark, it's cold, it's damp. Oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? What's happening here? But Ashley, that statement there says a lot about Paul and his place of captivity. It tells us a lot. Now can you imagine, in the news this week, we've had that uh, where the young girl from Derbyshire had been um, arrested. And charged and jailed for, um, you know, upsetting the gods of the, the mountain where she, she derobed. Can you imagine what it must have been like for that young girl in a foreign country, not understanding the rules and the regulations and the laws of that land, having experienced and lived a whole life in liberty and freedom? Because let's be honest, in the West, anything goes, doesn't it? Who cares, really? Who cares? Nobody seems to bring a challenge to anybody these days about their behaviour and the way they live their life. Nobody seems to bring it. But suddenly she finds herself in a foreign country having offended the local people, having offended the local gods. She's suddenly held captive. And I saw a little clip on the news last night of her trying to get into court and they were pushing and shoving. She was ashamed. She'd hid her face. She'd got her hair over her face. Um, And she was being taken into court to be charged. And praise God, she got three days for the offence of taking her clothes off. And she was allowed to fly back to the UK and she landed this morning. But so, you know, when we think about Paul being chained up for the gospel because of who he was and what he preached and what he promoted, and we look at her, just imagine what it was like for her if it was your son or your daughter it was your brother, your sister, your mother, your auntie, whoever. Can you imagine what that, that pain and that shame that she's caused the family and herself? Her name's going to be famous. When she's applying for jobs, people are going to know it's her that takes her clothes off on a mountain and offends the gods. So her reputation and everything is probably in tatters now. She's probably feeling deeply ashamed. She's probably feeling remorseful. She's probably just wants to hide away from the world. But we have Paul here who is the total opposite I'm not suggesting that he took his clothes off in public but what I'm trying to do is is to just draw your attention to the severity of the situation because again we read the word with sanitised eyes because we know the end of the story don't we but just imagine just for one moment that it was you locked up shut away and chained to a guard what would your testimony be? what would it be? I don't think they'd be saying that about me because I'd be thinking, and we talked a little bit about this when we were doing the, the prophecy thing that we were doing about Jonah and about going and preaching the gospel to your enemies because Paul was locked down to his enemies. They were enemies. And about this time, Nero, who had just taken power, was not only feeding Christians to the lions for entertainment, but he was impaling them on posts. He was setting fire to them so is that they illuminated the night sky so you know if somebody called you to go and preach the gospel message in Iran or Iraq or Turkey even Islamabad and you had to be you had to go there say God called you and he sent you there and suddenly you got arrested for offending Allah or the local gods what would your testimony be? What would your behavior be like? How would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? Because we think about all the horrors of war, the horrors of captivity, what people do to those who are held captive. And then we look at the behavior. We look at how, when you're in captivity, you're uh, broken down, you're pulled apart, you're destroyed, and you're brainwashed and suppressed. How on earth did Paul survive that captivity? How did he do it? Well, I suggest that actually he had a different perspective to me and you. That he had his eyes clearly on the Lord. That he understood who God was. And he understood who he was in God. Who he'd been called to be. Who God had made him to be. And that changed the way he looked at things. I believe that with all of my heart and my soul because how else do you get through situations like that? How else do you have testimonies that say, now I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me was really served to advance the gospel message. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, throughout the whole people who were keeping him captive, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In chains for Christ. Paul's circumstances were anything but joyful. But this book of Philippians is a book of joy it's all about rejoicing the Lord the joy of your strength is your Lord last week Steve finished on the joy of the Lord is your strength so how do we attain that when we're held down and we're in captivity when we feel the circumstances are pushing us in and pushing us down well I think the first key to Paul's success was his single mindedness he wasn't concerned for himself but he was concerned for others. Many of us are experts in being single-minded because, you know, if somebody said to me, you're going to do this, I'd say, I'm not going to do it, no way, never. Now, my face might not say it, but my attitude and my heart would say it. You know, know, I'm a very um, strong-minded woman, and if I set my mind to something, then normally I can achieve it. But, you know, we live in a world that says that I need to be perfect, I need to uh, be selective, and I've got every right in the book. But Paul here reflects the attitude and the image of Christ in how he responds to his place of captivity. So if you look at the book of uh, Philippians, it's all about imitating God. Now Jesus didn't consider um, his place and position in the heavenly realms with God something to be grasped. What did he do? He set it aside for the call that God has placed on his life. He set aside the glory of heaven, came down as a man, walked on the earth, grew in wisdom and strength, understood his calling, understood his purpose, and when the time came, started his ministry at the age of 30, went to the cross at 33. He had three years of working and, and discipling the people around him. He then went to the cross, which was a painful, humiliating disgusting diabolical death and if you look into it you'll understand why I say that and then he, is, he, he died and on the third day rose to heaven and ascended to the Lord and he's seated in the heavenly realms now and he sent another counsellor the Holy Spirit for us he has done that for us and I believe that Paul had such a revelation of what God had done for him that reconciliation of relationship to almighty God that it didn't matter the circumstances that he was in that it didn't matter that he was chained to a prison guard that it didn't matter that his life was in danger, that it didn't matter that any moment now Nero could send for him and, and, and torture him, can you imagine how painful that is the prospect of being burned alive or thrown to the lions? Can you imagine what that must be like but he didn't he didn't consider himself above that, but what he did he, he set his eyes on Jesus, he understood. His call, he understood that where he was was for the promotion and the advance of the gospel message, because the enemies that he was in and amongst, he cared more about them than himself. That is reflected in the scripture. Because why? Why would you pray for somebody who's got you in chains? Why would you pray for somebody who's trying to beat down on you? Why would you pray for somebody who's trying to destroy your your reputation? Why would you pray for somebody who's accused you of something? Why would you pray for somebody who's causing you stress in your life? Why would you? If you've got your focus on Christ and you understand what He's called you to do, you understand the circumstances you're in and the troubles that you're facing may be sent from God for you, to make you stronger, to bring out the reflection and the character of Christ within you, then your perception of your circumstances will change. They will change. And I can tell you that because I have experienced that in God. And I'm not boasting or being arrogant because, you know, some of you know, you know my journey. Quite recently, Dave and I went on a holiday. We had a fabulous time. We had a week in Wales. We did lots of golfing. And I, th- I finally decided that I would take up the challenge with him and join the golf club. He bought me some clubs and he paid for my membership. And I thought, right, four hours out of my time is a long time. Four hours. An hour of lunching with the girls maybe an hour shopping, maybe an hour's cleaning, and the other hour, just to pamper myself, four hours, four hours on the golf course. And I decided that actually my relationship with Dave was more important than all of those nice things to do. So I've I decided to, to invest in my relationship with Dave on the golf course. Now, you know, I had to really think about this, because again, you know, the four hours, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of time. I could drive to Blackpool and back in four hours. I could go out You know, to a club four hours. I can go and see the theatre four hours. You know, but actually, I decided that actually I would invest my time with Dave on the golf course. Now, it's very interesting being with Dave on the golf course because God has gifted me with an excellent drive, and I've not been playing. And I'm not boasting. I'm not boasting because Dave measured it. It was 158, was it, Steve, off the tee? I'm only little when I take my shoes off. I've got my Sunday shoes on. One little when I take my shoes off, and he gets so frustrated with me, and I have to really hold my tongue. And he's a great golfer; he's been playing golf for about three years. But my point is this: so Dave was trying to tell me that if I changed something slightly, that I would um, be much better at playing golf. And I'd like to say to you girls, you know, it's a bit like when your fella tries to teach you to drive.
1: <laughs> it ain't
0: happening. I'm sorry, Pete. You're you're a great gifted driving instructor but actually you know when you get in the car with your spouses let's say whether it's the boy or the girl that takes the wheel sometimes it can be pretty difficult can't it when you're you've got a backseat driver next to you but it's the same with golf because I'm just thinking he's telling me that because he doesn't want me to win him at golf and that's what my mind's telling me just stay with me here I'm going somewhere with this and I'm thinking, he doesn't, he doesn't really want me to, to do it like that, because I'll actually beat him at golf. And on one or two occasions, I almost did, because he was having a bad game. So the better I was getting, the worse he was getting. And, um, but, but, you know, having, having the character and the presence of Christ within me, I slowly moved back into the area where the bushes were, and I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word, I just left him to it. But, but, but my point is this, so when I went to go and get my golf clubs fitted, the pro looked at my swing and my drive and everything, and he said, right, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to get a tea towel. Have I told you this story before? I want you to get a tea towel. Just hang on a second, I'll put this down. He said, I want you to hold it like this. hands out. Right, swing to your right. Swing to your left. Swing to your right. Swing to your left. Swing to your right. Swing to your left. Right, you can sit down. Is that awkward? It's very difficult, isn't it? He wanted me to do that ten times a day with a tea towel, because a tea towel is about the right length for your arms. But what he was saying to me, Peter Daly very brave, very brave. (laughs) The Lord's going to show you this week, my lovely. (laughs) In that cafe over there. It's the word of the Lord to you. Um, So so that doesn't feel natural, does it? To me that did not feel natural, because my mind was saying, what on earth has he got me doing? But what he said to me was this, that we develop habits and the way we move and um, just do life, our mind has a pattern. And we just follow that pattern. But what he was saying to me was, you need to do that to stretch the muscles in your arm here. Because you've never done it before. He said, if you stretch the muscles in your arm, your drive or your hit will be much longer. So he was saying to me, you need to stretch your muscles. And I think sometimes in our mind, we don't stretch our muscles quite as often as we should do. And you know, in order for me to be improved in my game, then I've got to exercise more and it's an effort to do that because actually we have to set aside time don't we, as well as the four hours on the golf course I've now got to do some exercises in between of that, but actually <laughs> but actually, if I want to be improved in what I do I want to develop my game um, and, and to just be to enjoy it more, because let's be honest, when we think we're, we're better and we're doing well, we enjoy things more don't we when we're successful and things are good things are going our way, we enjoy things more, it's more joyful so, in order for me to actually to play a better game, I then have to exercise more. But it's the same with our minds. Our minds are set in patterns and thought processes that actually will cause us to live a certain way. And you know one of the keys of Paul's um, sort of success, if you want, or his joyful life, he's actually submitting his mind, his single-mindedness, to the word of the Lord. So a single-minded person can achieve all sorts. So um, So getting back to the... I was away on holiday for for this week and we were playing lots of golf. So I said, right, I've really enjoyed it because I've had some good games. I'll join the golf course. And we came home on the um, Saturday and on the Sunday I wasn't very well. And on the Monday, uh, and I was on holiday, I'd booked an early class at the gym. And... um, it was like five past seven this class, which you know, when you're on holiday and you have to get up, it's a bit of a challenge. But I thought, no, you know, I'm not going to change the way I look, or my health is not going to improve if I don't actually do something different. So, I'd, I'd, the night before, I'd got my single minded head on. I said, Right, we get up, we get up um, at half six, and we get to the gym, and we do the class, which I did do. And I, I like, once I'm there, I really enjoy it, but it actually, it's an effort. And as I had, um, a bit later on that day some of you know this I couldn't remember leaving the gym I couldn't remember leaving the gym getting home driving home and being at home and um, I didn't tell anyone for a couple of days because I was a little bit scared because I'm thinking what's happened with my mind because I'm a pretty strong minded person and I'm, I, lo- I like to be in a bit of control and I, I like to know where I'm going and what I'm doing you know and all of that lot and suddenly I, cu- I couldn't remember so I drove home and um, I got home, and I was feeling a bit woozy, a bit, a bit, a bit sickly, and um, I'd, I sort of said today, well, I'm not playing golf today, I'm not very well, so I slept for five hours. And uh, certain times of women's life, you go through this thing called the menopause, which you've no control over whatsoever. And i just believed I'd got this really sort of vile migraine, never had migraines before until I, I started the menopause. And um, this was a particularly nasty attack. And so, I slept for five hours. Um, got up when David got back from golf and um, the very next day, which was the Tuesday, we were going to the ALG conference, which i 'd been looking forward to for an awful long time and Fortunately, Steve had some magre relief tablets um, in his bag so because i wasn 't feeling very well that particular day, Steve would give me a, a, some of these magre relief tablets, and I took one and went to bed. And was it slept and then the next day I was fuzzy again. And, um, and, and then on the Thursday, when we we're due to come home, it started to lift a little bit this, this fuzziness in my head. And um, till to, to eventually, I, I go back to work the following week, I'm still feeling a little bit sick. And, and then I thought I need to go to the doctors because I don't like taking tablets. I, I'm again a strong minded person, and I like to think that actually, if I align my life with God, then everything's sorted. But sometimes, you know, these things come, don't they, to um, test our faith and to trials. And um, was at work and I thought I, I can't be writing checks for 150,000, 300,000, half a million, investing monies. If I, if I miss a digit off, I've, I've had it. So I rang the doctor. Went to the doctor the next day. Talked to him about everything, and, he, and this is what he said to me: "He said, I think you've had a mini-stroke." you can imagine, can't you, when somebody says that to you, actually your response. Because my my imagination was all over the place. First and foremost, I thought, okay, I've got critical illness cover, I'll get a big payout, which is atrocious. That's a terrible thing to think. And I'm thinking, great, I can finish work and I can work for the church for free. That's the first thing I thought. Secondly, I thought, oh my goodness, what does that mean? That means I'm going to have to change my whole lifestyle. And then thirdly, when the doctor said, have you come in your car today? I said, Jason, you can't drive. i are going to sign you off work. You haven't to do anything. No gym, no golf, no nothing. Well, it was like a death sentence to me. An absolute death sentence. So I come out of the surgery, and I'm thinking, flipping it. Anyway, I rang Dave, and I said, oh, this is what the doctor said. He said, where are you? I'll come in. No, no, no. I said, I'm, I'm not disabled. You know, I'm, I'm, I walked to the church. He came here, chatted to him, told Steve and Russ and Shell and Becky... And we all prayed and the doctor rang the hospital whilst I was there and and got me an appointment. Anyway, long story short, it wasn't a mini-stroke. It was a severe migraine attack. But let me tell you, in that week, my perception of myself and my life in God changed considerably. I was in captivity, to the words that the doctor spoke over me. I was in captivity. Now, listen to me. If you've been diagnosed with something today and you're taking tablets, keep taking them, please. But for me... People at work said to me, well, my boss said to me, because I didn't tell anybody else, he said, You need to reflect on what you're doing, so you need to slow down, you need to sit down, you need to stop doing as much. My mum and dad, didn't tell my children, my mum and dad said, I've been telling you for years, you've been doing too much, you're too old now, you know, you're at that stage of life, you need to think about what you're doing, you know, you could have a heart attack, a stroke, you know, all of this lot. All of these voices mixing up with my voices, you know, and the doctor's voice, a professional's voice. You know, and and friends sort of saying very gently and very nicely, do you think about what you're doing, you slow down, da 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 You know, till I was almost locked down, locked in. I got my little book out of my fluffy blanket in the house, sitting, thinking, that's it. It's a complete change of life. But let me tell you this, when God speaks to you, when he says to you, I want you to press in, I want you to press into me and I've got so much more for you. When you've got all the voices around you that are trying to keep you in captivity, with the best will in the world this is, I'm not criticising those voices. They're voices of concern. They're voices of love. They're voices of professionalism. They're voices that actually care for you. So they're all good things. But when God speaks to you about pressing in and doing more, you need to understand why he's saying that. You need to get into the word. You need to stop thinking about yourself. You need to focus on who God's called you to and what he's called you to and where he's called you to. Because actually, there's a whole harvest out there for you. So when Paul's in captivity and he's changed to the God, he's not thinking, that, oh, woe is me. Poor little old me! I'm going to be thrown to the lions, or I'm going to burn alive. I'm going to die in here, and nobody's going to know my name. No, he's not thinking of that. He sets aside all of the glory that he has seen himself in his ministry, and his word and his theology, because the, you know his theology is in our book, etched in there forever in eternity. He's had successes. He's seen miracles, signs, and wonders. He's seen people healed. You know, people. when when they had one of his handkerchiefs, were healed because it had been near Paul. It's in all of that success. So he wasn't saying, oh, well, you know, I've got a bit of a reputation and I've got a ministry and I've got this and I've got that. No. He was saying, what's the purpose, Lord, in this? The purpose is to advance the gospel message amongst my enemies. Same within Jeremiah. What do you think the people, you know, of Israel did when they settled and they planted and they prayed for the enemies around them? The city prospered. It prospered and it had peace. So today, you know, if you're in a place of captivity, or you feel you're in a place of captivity, think on what God has called you to. Change your perspective by being single-minded. I'm just going to read you something about single-mindedness. This is from Modern, modern, uh, modern Philosophy. Okay, so just, just hear these words. Your thoughts have a have powerful influence. They affect what happens to you. Most of us go through our waking hours... Taking little notice of our thought processes, how the mind moves, what it fears, what it heeds, what it says to itself, what it brushes aside. For the most part, we eat, work, converse, worry, hope, plan, love, shop, play, all with minimum attention paid to how we think. This is unfortunate, for we are neglecting one of the most important and powerful forces in our lives. Mind power is directing your thoughts towards a desired outcome. Put simply, what you focus on, you attract. Focus on success and you attract success. Focus on fear and failure and you'll attract failure. Mind power is understanding these laws and making our thoughts work for us. Your thoughts are primarily creative forces in your life. Use them consciously and use them often, and you will awaken a whole new life of power and opportunity. If you want to make changes in your life, you must look to the cause. And the causes are almost always the way you use your mind, the way you're thinking. You cannot think both negative and positive thoughts at the same time. One or the other will dominate. The mind is a creature of habit, so it becomes each individual's responsibility to make sure that positive emotions and thoughts constitute the domin- dominating influences in their mind. In order to change external conditions, you must first change the internal. Most people admit this step. They try to change external conditions by working directly on those conditions. This always proves futile, or at best temporal, unless we accompany it by changes of thought and belief. Awakening to truth is a way to a better, more successful life. It becomes crystal clear. Train your conscious mind to think thoughts of success, happiness, health, prosperity, and to weed out negativity such as fear and worry. keeps your conscious mind busy with the expectation of the best. We make sure the thoughts you have habitually think are based upon what you see happen in your life. So, for example, water takes the shape of whatever container it holds, whether it be a glass, a vase, or a riverbank. Likewise, your mind will create and manifest according to the image you habitually think about in your daily thinking. This is how your destiny is created. A new life is created by new thoughts. Now, that's a modern philosophy, so there are some truths in that. I can understand why they say that. But let me, tell, let me say this to you. Okay? Paul says the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, be, to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So the, the modern philosopher, there are snippets of truth in the way they present that. But actually, it's not self-power, we're not a self-God but actually if we fix our eyes on God, if we allow God to destroy and demolish every argument that sets itself up against who God is, then actually we'll have divine power to actually change the way we think so Romans 12 says, do not conform therefore any longer to this way of thinking in this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind Coupled with that divine power that we have, we can change the way we think. And I think this is one of, one of, was one of Paul's life principles, that actually the circumstances that you find yourself in, if they are difficult and uncomfortable, you, c- you might not be able to change the external things that are going on around you, but you can change the internal way we perceive our circumstances and our um, situations that we are in so those those won't change because they are there they are fact the fact that hsbc you know you might lose your job that's a fact but you know for me i take security in who god has called me to be he has plans and a purpose to prosper me and not to harm me but currently i'm in exile so i have to pray for those that are around me i have to make sure that they prosper and that there's peace there so when they're all running around losing their head because they might be losing their jobs I'm sat there full of peace and actually singing, and they're asking me to pray for them for a miracle. You know, so, so it's the fragrance of Christ that you bring when you have a different perspective and you speak the different language because you have engaged with the scripture and you understand that actually God has placed you where you are. You actually have a different, your thoughts will be different and your speech will be different and you will bring peace and prosperity to the city that you're in. So you're not in captivity. You're actually in freedom. Because although Paul was chained to a guard, and you know some people would think that he was captive, he wasn't captive at all. The guards were captive to him and the gospel message. So it turned it, it turned it on its head. I'm not captive to HSBC and the people that are around me or the circumstances of my life, what the doctors said and everybody else has said. I'm not captive to that. They're captive to me because Christ is in me and frees me, I'm not in a place of captivity I'm not locked down, locked in I am free because of who God's made me to be because of who God's called me to be and if I am resolutely single minded in that then actually, whatever I face whatever circumstances you face if you understand who God's called you to be what he's appointed you and anointed you to do you'll be resolute in that resolute Now let me tell you this. The second point, so the first point, Paul was single-minded. He understood who he was, who God had called him to be, and he just moved in that. And he wasn't fazed by the threats and the voices and the kind voices. Some of the Christians had said to him as well in, in Philippians. So if you read the book, you'll see some of his friends, they were falling out about the gospel message. Some of the voices were quite negative. In your Christian walk, there will be some negative voices. But what you have to ask the Lord to to single out his voice, so that you hear his voice, it's really important that you hear his voice, and you understand what he's saying. So the single-mindedness of Paul, do you know what single-mindedness does? It leads you to a submissive mind. And I'll, I'll explain that. What I mean by that is if you have a goal or a focus, your mind will submit to the steps, to that focus and that goal. So for example, the very fact that I said i play golf with, with Dave and I would try and improve my game actually changes my mind. It becomes submissive to doing those exercises, to uh, apportioning that time in my diary, uh, to um, actually uh, embracing and welcoming different ways of thinking. So we've got two points here, one is to be resolute in what God has called you to be to be single minded, the second is once you understand that you need to submit your mind to the word of God and the people of God around you so a single minded um, person will be submissive to the word and the guiding and to the development and the movement of God so you're not single minded in isolation and resolute, me. God's called me to preach the gospel to the people in uh, Bikina Faso. Well, what are you doing about it? Because if you're resolute in that, what are you submitting yourself to? Are you understanding the people group? Do you understand the language? Have you been out there? So the purpose, you become submissive to it. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? So if I want to be um, a better better golfer then I will submit my mind to learning and understanding what golf means and the game of it. Same with Paul. If you're preaching the gospel message and you don't understand the circumstances that you're in, we submit ourselves and Paul submits himself to the call and the gospel message and it changes your perspective. So that's what a submitted mind is. So what I do now, when I'm in a circumstance that's difficult, Or I feel is not really what God has called me to, and I can't understand it or see it. I now say to the Lord, "What am I not seeing? What is it? Because I understand what you've called me to, Lord. I understand your message. I understand that we're not to grasp hold tightly of things that God has not asked us to. I understand all of that, and I see the facts around me. I see the difficulties around me. But what am I not seeing? If you have placed me here, what am I not seeing?" And I make my mind submissive to the word of God and the voice of God and the move of the Holy Spirit so that I can move in alignment with him. And I believe that's what Paul did. That he was submissive to the gospel message to the point he didn't think of himself. He was transformed by the renewing of his mind, which gave him liberation. Single-mindedness, submissiveness brings liberation. So you might still be in those circumstances, but you're not captive to them. You're freed from them. Amen? So, in um, conclusion, just want to say to you, be single-minded, but in the word, and in your calling. Be submissive to the word of God, so it can change you from the inside out, so that you will be liberated understand that the weapons that we fight with are not arguments are not threats are not rights you know i've got every right and this is my you know this is my right they're not weapons of this world the weapons we fight with are divine and they will give us power to fight the way god wants us to fight it's a gospel message of love and grace and mercy so once you've done that Once you understand who you are in Christ, you understand what you're called to, you understand and you engage with the scripture, you understand the power of divine weapons, you can actually live in freedom wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing. So today, if you are in exile and you're feeling that you are taken captive, get into the word, engage with the word and see what God says to you. And I'm telling you now, it will change the way you see things. If you can't see things differently, ask the Lord to show you Ask the Lord to show you, and he will show you what you need to see. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.